Darian McNabb. It's time for another edition of Manitoba Unsolved Mysteries. A couple months ago, um, we were talking to the Manitoba Association of Chiefs of Police, Greg. They launched a feature on their website called Unsolved Mystery Fridays, and they're now working with Crime Stoppers to spread the message. Yeah, we've got two mysteries to share today, both involving victims from the 1980s, both named Margaret. Detective Sergeant Tom Mackay, police coordinator for Winnipeg Crime Stoppers, joins us now. Good morning, Detective Sergeant. How are you this morning? Good morning. I'm fine, thanks. Well, we appreciate you uh, bringing these stories to our attention. These features are uh, obviously uh, difficult to share, but it's imperative we do so. So for today, let's start October 28th. It was a Friday in 1983. And is it Margaret Greaves that we're talking about? That's correct, actually. Yeah, <clears throat> pardon me. Um, so, yeah, today we're talking about two murders. That, while they're unrelated, they do have some similarities beyond the fact that the uh, victim's first name shared that of Margaret. <clears throat> As you said already, the uh, first homicide took place in 1983. Uh, our victim in this case was Margaret Grease, who was 29 years old at the time. Uh, Ms. Grease had a seemingly ordinary life. Nothing about her lifestyle suggested a motive for the crime. Uh, from what police were able to piece together, it looks like she was killed in the early morning hours of October 27th, and Ms. Grease had either opened the door for her killer or it was left unlocked as there was no sign of forced entry. Uh, additionally, there was no signs of a struggle, no defensive wounds, suggesting that this was a totally surprised and unprepared attack that, uh, where she was choked to death, I'm afraid. No sexual assault took place. It didn't appear that anything had been taken. So this was able to rule out some of the more common explanations for this type of murder. <clears throat> the investigation did turn up that around 4 in the morning, the building's caretaker recalls buzzing in someone through the front security door, and they believe that this was a white male around 20 years of age with brown hair and may have been using a name of Mark Smith. <clears throat> so, Sergeant Mackay, you talked about there was no forced entry, no sign of a struggle, and you're looking they were looking potentially for this man who had been let into the building. They also, the backstory leads to some footprints that were found linked to a lotto pioneer shoe from Zellers. And I'm going to guess that maybe now there might be a database for that sort of thing or a place that you could turn to, to help access information. But when you found shoe prints or when they found shoe prints in the eighties, what was involved in matching a footprint to a specific kind of shoe? Well, they would still take the impression of uh, of the shoe, of course. Uh, not much has changed with that respect. Unfortunately, though, it's not the same as like the bad guy leaving a blood sample behind, right? This was the victim's blood that we're talking about. So it's not so much a, a question of DNA matching. Um, ideally, it would be something where you find a suspect, uh, you know, obtain a search warrant and uh, go through his belongings, finding a shoe that you believe would be similar to the one found at the scene and then hoping to do a match that way. So, um, I mean, like going back this far in time, it's going to be definitely a challenge to uh, to be able to link something like that. But you never really give up hope and uh, you never know what somebody might still have. And then when it comes to the actual footprint, like determining that, okay, so we've taken an impression of this particular footprint and then figuring out what kind of shoe it came from like is that just a trial and error where you got to go to a store and look at at the bottom of all the shoes or how would how would that work it can be pretty exhaustive actually yeah uh, especially back then i'm not sure what they're doing nowadays but um yeah definitely back then it was just be like you say kind of trial and error going and seeing what all the available shoe patterns are uh you know that you think that would even be close and then 
basically you're matching up from there. But, I mean, they have labs, crime labs that do this sort of thing for a living and do it day in, day out, so they're they're very good. Uh, in this particular case with Miss Grease, it's believed that, uh, as you guys already said, that it was a Lotto Pioneer uh, sneaker, and it's believed to be a size 9 or size 10 men's shoe, or possibly a 10 or 11 in women's. So can we move now uh, to Sunday, June 4th, 1989? Margaret Unger was the victim here. What happened in her, her case? Well, yeah, this next homicide took place, you know, about six years later uh, to Margaret Unger. Uh, Mrs. Unger, actually like Ms. Grease, was living alone at the time. And I guess family and friends know, were able to report that she was known to follow a very certain routine in the mornings. Uh, which led police to looking at a possible time window of the murder between 7 and 8 a.m. on June the 4th, uh, 1989. Uh, another similarity to Ms. Grease's murder was that it appears that Mrs. Unger either knew her attacker or the attacker was able to talk his or her way into Mrs. Unger's home, as once again there was no signs of forced entry or that of a struggle. Uh, in fact, it looks like Mrs. Unger was comfortable enough at some point to turn her back on her attacker, at which time it looks like she was shot once in the back of the head. And uh, just like Ms. Grease, there was no obvious motive for this killing. So I know often in these cases, whether it's the 80s, 70s, or now, um, people often turn to the person you mentioned, someone who might know them. And so it was her ex-husband who who had dropped her off and found the door ajar and all the rest and the uh, things in the driveway. Was he a suspect? Who were suspects at the time? <clears throat> well, no, I don't believe he was. Um, I, I think the uh, the time chain that took place, uh, you know, where they knew she was last seen and so forth, I think ruled out uh, her estranged husband there from being a suspect. Um, he was the one that found her the following morning along with another family member. They had, uh, I think, had a a fine relationship, uh, even in separation amongst themselves, and uh, I believe they were coming over to help move a piece of furniture, in fact, uh, which is what led them to discovering Mrs. Unger's body that morning. What I also understand, too, she was extra conscious of her home security, right, because she had been the victim of, of two burglaries and still no sign of forced entry, and as you said, it, 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 was, it would appear that she was comfortable with whomever was in her home. Yeah, and that's where the mystery lies, right, is you would think somebody who is as self-conscious about uh, personal security and that, you know, would be obviously very careful as to who they let in. So that's why I say whoever it was, either they, they knew Mrs. Unger or, you know, had a very good line to talk themselves into her house without her being alarmed. Detective Sergeant Tom Mackay, police coordinator for Winnipeg Crime Stoppers, joining us. And Detective Sergeant, I, I know we sort of ask this question every time you come on but I think it's important that we reiterate this thing like with, with older cases like this do people ever hold off on call, calling in a potential tip because they might think boy how, how could it possibly help an investigation that's over 30 years old uh, like is it possible people are scared to waste anyone's time with what they think they might be remembering around something like this well, you know, it can be sometimes hard to gauge, you know, or pinpoint what somebody's motivation might be. Um, I can tell you that, you know, in our line of the business here in Crime Stoppers, it's not that unusual for somebody to come forward after a period of time. Uh, a lot of times, you know, if it's a web tip, for example, 
uh, Sony might proceed their information by saying just what you were talking about of, you know, I, I don't know if this is important. I don't know if I'm wasting your time. And, you know, a lot of times it's just adding that piece of the puzzle, something that you think that everybody might know or might be common knowledge uh, still might be missing from an investigation. And it, it really might kind of tip police into the right, right way of uh, looking at things. They say time heals wounds. That's one of those cliche sayings that gets thrown out, um, especially in times of tragedy. I'm just curious, for families, I'm going to guess that's not the case. These years can pass, but they're still looking for those answers. You know, you're right. I think time heals all wounds, maybe when it comes to a broken heart, you know, from a failed relationship or something like that. But when it comes to the loss of a loved one's life, um, especially when it's just hanging in the air as to who did this and did they really get away with it, uh, I know personally that would affect me uh, deeply probably for the rest of my life. Well, if you want to call Crime Stoppers, if you ever have a tip, the phone number is 204-786-TIPS. That's 204-786-8477. Or long-distance callers, dial 1-800-222-8477. The website is winnipegcrimestoppers.org. And if you want to read more, Manitoba Unsolved Mysteries, macp.mb.ca. Detective Sergeant Tom Mackay, Police Coordinator for Winnipeg Crime Stoppers, joining us live on CJO. Be Detective Sergeant, thank you for the time once again. Thank you for having me. 947 on 680 CJOB. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. And uh, I don't know if either of you guys watched that Night Stalker True Doc uh, that recently debuted on Netflix, but the footprint uh, was a big deal. It was a big part of that particular investigation. There was a specific brand of Avia shoe. Oh, wow. And uh, they were working hard to, to find this footprint. Uh, in every crime scene and figure out which stores in Los Angeles had received it. Apparently it was a limited run shoe, like only seven huh. pairs had made it into the county. Uh, so the the footprint, this just seems like, okay, how, how do we figure that oh, out in 1983? The legwork no that goes into that is incredible, right? When you We mentioned a database, but that's not really the case if they're going door-to-door, place-to-place to try to match the the bottom of a shoe. That's pretty incredible.